Hello, Hope Church. Uh, so, so before we, we do anything, we, we have to deal with this title um, for t- this weekend's uh, sermon, because I've already uh, had a few questioning glances and uh, one threatening look uh, about bacon. And so uh, as, as we're working through the Gospel of Mark, we, we come this weekend to chapter 5, verses 1 to, through 20, and, and it's the story of the demon-possessed man who, when he meets Jesus, the demons then go into a herd of pigs, and the pigs run down to the water and die. Hence, bacon, Satan's bacon. And so just the, the disclaimer that needs to be said for my safety is that um, I do not think that bacon is satanic or demonic. Um, I, I personally believe that bacon is a delicious cut of meat uh, given to us by God for our enjoyment and his meat candy. Um, so, this week, I, I just ruined the story for tonight. You guys know the end. Uh, and, and, and I think that's, that's good, though, right? Because it's, it's not just a, another story. And I think oftentimes we approach uh, the Gospels in particular, and we, we approach Bible stories as stories, and we read them. And, and, and many of you already knew that, right? I didn't ruin the story for you because I already knew the story. Right? You already knew what was going to happen. You, you, the moment I started talking, you probably saw the title, and you're like, oh, I know where we're going. Right? You, you know this. And so the problem is that, that these aren't just stories. Right? And we shouldn't just approach uh, the Bible as a bunch of stories that we know. Right? Because when we do, we just learn these stories. We learn more, all these stories about Jesus and who Jesus was and all his followers and all of Israel and all that stuff, and, and we miss out on the heart of it. And it's something I, I struggle with that too, right? Oftentimes I can start reading uh, the Bible and oh, I know the I know this one, right? And I can just skip right to the end and I already know what's going on. I kind of go through the motions. I did it this morning. I'm I'm reading, trying to read through the Bible in a year, and I'm I'm stuck in Chronicles, which is like a repeat of Second Kings, right? I'm reading all these stories again, and and I find myself I'm just kind of like. I, I caught myself like, oh yeah, I'm kind of just, I don't know what happened to that last chapter, right? I just kind of skimmed through it, right? And we can do that, right? And I, I think, and, and for me, that was part of my child, right? I knew the Bible, I heard Bible stories. And so even, I'll tell you a little story about myself that maybe will lend some light, especially with this, this story that we're reading today. All right, you, how many of you uh, remember The Far Side, Gary Larson? I love the far side. I, 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 I grew to love the far side because at my grandpa's house, they had all the far side. And I don't know if it was my grandma or my grandpa or any of my 10 aunts and uncles, but somebody loved far side. And so there were piles of far side books there. Right? And I remember reading them. And, and in particular reading them, this, is, this shows you my like, knowledge of Bible stories. Is, is There's a very famous one of the Far Side comics where there's all these lemmings running down the hill and one of them has like a life preserver on, right? It's comical, lemmings run off cliff. I thought it was this story. I thought those were pigs running in because Jesus had just cast out. Like that's what I know. So even these comic books, I see them through the light of, of Bible stories, right? It wasn't until much later when I was trying to tell somebody else about it and they're like, those are not pigs, Right, those are lemmings, and then I learned what lemmings were. But I, I just was convinced that this comic was a, a Bible story. Right? And it was just another story to know. So what I want to encourage us to do is as we read through the Bible, 
as we read through this story is that, that we don't just read the story to know the story, but as we read through the story that we catch Jesus' heart when we get to know Jesus. Let me ask a question. Uh, do, you, do you ever wonder what it was like for the disciples? Had you ever put yourself in their shoes, walking alongside of G- with Jesus, right, listening to the things that he says, watching him perform miracles? I, I often imagine that, right, walking with Jesus, with the crowd of other disciples, walking and, ho- and hoping to stay close enough to him so I can hear what he's saying, right, but then realistically getting distracted in a side conversation with somebody about what just happened and then uh, having my ears pricked because I hear Jesus talking and then try to jump back into the conversation and follow along with what's going on, right? Trying to piece together what he's teaching and, and, and put together all the stories that I've heard from the past and, and all the things that I had learned growing up about what the Messiah was supposed to be, right? Knowing that there's lots of different people had different ideas about what the Messiah was going to do. Right? And, and, and just all of that in hopes of, of, of getting an idea or knowing what was going to happen. Right? Because some people had, had told me growing up that, that the Messiah was going to get rid of the Romans. Right? He's going to come in and, and, and Israel was going to return to the way it was under, under David and Solomon where Israel was, was the empire. And we have freedom and all the money flow. And I, I remember, this is from Chronicles reading recently, right? That, that in Solomon's day, that, that silver was as, as common as dust in Solomon's day, right? That was that, like, so there, maybe that's what it's going to be like. The Messiah is going to come and it's going to become like that again. And as Israelites, we're going to be, we're going to rule the world. All right, others said it was something even greater and, and didn't quite understand. But either way... Here I am right now, invited to follow Jesus, and I get front row seats. You see, the disciples didn't know the, the whole story. Right? They didn't know about the resurrection, much less the crucifixion. And so at each step of the way, they're trying to understand. And often, I think that we forget that, right? Because we hear these stories with the end in mind. Right? We even hear these stories like, like this demon-possessed man. We already know that the demons are going to end up in the pigs and run down the hill. Right? But we, we skip to the end without actually thinking through. And so today, I want to invite you to try to listen to this story for the first time. I want to invite you to try to listen to this story like the disciples, walking through it moment by moment, what is happening, trying to understand. Because I think when we do that, then we get a, a chance to catch a glimpse of Jesus' heart. And his purpose and what he wants from us. So let's read this here. This is Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1. And it says, They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. So remember, if you were here last week, right? They were crossing the lake. And, and this crossing wasn't just a simple crossing, right? This is, they end up in the storm. Everybody thinks they're going down with the ship. They wake up Jesus, and he speaks and, and calms the storm. And, and they're faced with the reality that Jesus is greater than all of creation. And I'm sure the, the, the second half of that boat ride was, was pretty quiet. 
right? As each of the disciples just wrestled, what just happened? We thought we were going to die. Jesus spoke and everything was calm. So now they're here. All right, their head's spinning. All right, and, and, and if you think about it, as the disciples, you're, you're with them, you're getting off the boat. Maybe you're, you're asking Peter again, like, tell me exactly what happened. Right, when you went and woke up Jesus, I, I couldn't quite see because I was busy hanging on to the mass for my life. Right, what, what exactly did Jesus do? Like, what, did, what was the look on it? Like, tell me again. Right, or maybe you're having some little side conversation with Philip. So what does this mean? If he can speak and everything's called, what does this mean? What is it, what it, what's going on? Either way, you're getting out of the boat and you're glad to be back on dry land. So now we get back to verse 2. Right, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Now, we need to pause here for a minute. I know we're not going very fast. Right, but, but, but this, before we go any further in the story, we, we have to, to wrestle with this reality. I think it's something that we as a culture just gloss over and, and, and don't deal with very much. And, it, and it's really, this is the first point for today, and if you want to follow along in your bulletin, it's, it's this, is that we are spiritual beings. Right? They, they meet this man, it's just, this man is described as having an impure spirit. Right? Too often, I think, we think of ourselves and we think of, of, of physical, right? Everything's physical, and I, I worry about my body. I know that someday I'm going to die, and so I'm trying to take care of myself until I get there, right? And, and I worry about finances and food and housing and clothing, all those things. We, we think about physical. But the Bible teaches us that, that we are spirit. And that our, our spirit doesn't die. Okay, God, God sums up when, he, when, he, when Jesus is summing up the, all of the Old Testament and the law. The law of the prophets, he says, He's love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Oftentimes we just think about our mind and our strength, right? I try to understand him, and it's my spirit. But, but this idea of our heart and our soul, that, that spiritual part of us, what is that? really mean, and we don't understand, so we ignore it, and we worry about the stuff that we get. But John chapter 4, verse 24, it says that God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. In Romans 8, 16, it says the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are really God's children. Right? There's, there's this part of us that's spirit that we did. It, again, it's, it's, we can't put our finger on it because right? it's not physical. Right? We can't explain it. We, we don't get it, and yet we have to understand that at the core of, of this, at the core of, of all of, of, of the Bible, is that we are spiritual beings, that we were, we were made to be in relationship with God, and, and the physical part of us is the part that we feel like we know the best, but it's the, it's the temporary part. And so it's something I, that I don't, I don't think the disciples understood that either, right? Granted, the, the culture that they grew up in, that they lived in, was different. They, they saw and experienced things differently than we do in, in our day and age, 
right, with, with our understanding of the world. And yet, I think it was still, it's that hard thing that we don't grasp. Because we can't pinpoint it. We can't see it in x-ray, right? We can't, we can't fully grasp this thing, this idea that we're spirit. And yet, in this story, the, the disciples come face to face with it. Right, because they just get done witnessing Jesus demonstrating his authority over all of creation as he calms the storm. And then they go headfirst into a completely different storm as they get out of the boat and they meet this man. So let's jump back into the story. Verse 3. Right, this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And this is superhuman strength. Right? I'm, not, I'm not sure which is scarier. Right? Going down in a storm with the boat... Or coming face to face with a guy who can't be controlled by anyone who breaks chains, cuts himself with stones, lives among the tombs, and is just constantly crying out and howling. Actually, I do. I think I know which is scarier. Um, But it says, when they saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. So we have to pause again, because we get to this interaction between this man who's got the unclean spirit and Jesus, and clearly, not just is there a spiritual realm that we often just kind of glaze over and, and ignore, but... But there is there's something on there's a battle going on. There's a conflict going on. Jesus and this unclean spirit, they're not on the same team. These demons that were in this man and Jesus were in a conflict. And as the disciples are watching along, they, they're I don't know exactly what they see is this guy comes running towards them, but then falls in front of Jesus and then starts shouting. This is before any of the disciples had said and fully understood who Jesus was. They, they believed he was the Messiah. They're starting to fall. But here's this demon-possessed man come and falls before him and says, What do you want with me? What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? He knows who Jesus is. And he said, in God's name, don't torture me. You see, demons are real. They are created beings. As we read through the Bible, we see that the demons are, are created beings just like angels. Right? But they joined with Satan in his rebellion from God. And, and they're still around. They're still at large. They are real. Which is why when we read 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5, it says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. 
The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. See, we don't fight against flesh and blood. Right? Our, our battle isn't a, a physical battle, but it's, it's against these spiritual realms. This, this, this reality that there's this cosmic battle that has been going on. Right? God created everything. God created all, including all of the angels and Satan. And then Satan and the demons rebel against God. And there's this battle that's going on. We see it with creation. God creates mankind and he has a purpose and a plan for people. And then Satan comes in and tempts and deceives. And, and there's this battle that still rages. And so we have to remember that we live in this world that is a spiritual world. And there are, there are spiritual forces at work in this world. And, and oftentimes, again, we just, we just want to write them off and just ignore them. Right? But the reality is that things like Ouija boards and mediums and mystics and fortune-telling, their spirits are real, but they're not all good. 1 John 4, 1, we're told, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And John 8, 44, John writes that, that Satan is the father of lies, right? And so Satan and all of his demonic forces, they often masquerade as, as good and, and fun, right? And we live in a culture that, that highlights those things, right? That they're, these things are, are fun. They're not harmful. They're interesting and cool, right? But the reality is that, that we have to be aware. We have to be on guard. We have to test the spirits and know whether the spirit is from God. And we know it by his word. And whether it lines up with his word. And so what do we do? First Peter 5, 8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We have to be on our guard. We have to be alert. Right? Because like this man who uh, Jesus interacts with, it, who is under demonic force, right? the demons are still real. They still are at work. And we have to be aware. We have to pay attention because uh, there is a battle going on. And I just want to encourage you, if, if you like, in the sermon guide, there's some great tools just to, to look at, at the armor of God. And what, what are we called to as followers of Jesus? How do we defend ourselves? How do we earn? And, and it's, it's by knowing God, knowing his word. So just encourage you, you can dig into that this week, whether it's in a life group or just on your own, but would encourage you to do that. And so again, as, as the disciples are following Jesus, they're, they're reminded again that they live in a spiritual world and there is a battle that's going on. When we come to verse 9, it says, Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he says, my name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Now, a, a quick reference, a legion, right? It was a Roman term, uh, a military term for about 3,000 to 6,000 men. Right? But it, a legion could also just be a reference to like a, a generic reference to a horde. Right? 
And so either way, it means a lot. Right? And so lots and lots of demons possess this man. This wasn't like this guy had a demon. Like there was, there, he was possessed by a, a, a legion. Right? A lot of demons. They gave him incredible strength and drove him mad. Again, as, we, as it described him, right? That he couldn't be restrained by anyone. If they chained him up, he'd break the chains. If they put irons on, he broke them. He, lived, he, he, he was insane. He was out of control, tormented by the demons in the tombs, cutting his body and crying out. And even though they gave him incredible strength, we have to remember this next point, and it simply is that Jesus is greater. Even though this man was, was uh, under the power of, of a legion of demons, they, the, that legion of demons caused the man to come and fall before Jesus and plead for mercy. Right? Because this legion of demons knows who Jesus is, that he is Jesus, son of the most high God. And they know that he has authority and power over them. And so they bow before him and they, and they beg for mercy and leniency. Because they know what's coming for them. They know that they stand in opposition to God. And that at some point they will be made to surrender. And they will pay. But Jesus is greater. Because he has all authority, not just over the physical creation, and so that he can calm any storm. But when these demons come before him, he has authority over them. Verse 11, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, saying, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. And the pigs were destroyed. Now, I know a lot of people, have, have, as I've been studying and reading, a lot of people will point to this as just an example of how Jesus is just thoughtless and cruel. Right? Why would Jesus just allow, you know, why would Jesus just kill these 2,000 pigs? Why would he destroy the income of those farmers? Why, why would he just, it seems, be so heartless just to allow this destruction to happen? And so they'll use this example. Like, well, look at what Jesus is like. I can't follow a guy like that. And, and lots of people try to, to reason. It's like, well, well in, in the in the Jewish culture, pigs were unclean, so those farmers shouldn't have had them in the first place, and, and we'll try to reason with that. But, but it comes down to this. Jesus didn't cause this. This was just another case where Jesus allowed Satan's forces to act. Right? We live in a world that is under the, the power and the influence of Satan. Right? We live in a broken, fallen world. There, there are, are, are dist- mass destruction. Right? There are storms that Jesus doesn't stop every storm. Right? There are acts that there, there are, all those people will ask those questions. Like, why does God allow bad things happen to good people? Why does God allow these things? If, if he's so good, why does this happen? And, and it just comes back to say that, that, that God has allowed Satan to have authority and power for a time. 
because Jesus has an end game. Right? He, he knows the mission that he's on. And, and in the meantime, yeah, we, we live in a sinful, broken world. And so Jesus allowed it. Jesus didn't destroy those pigs. He didn't destroy those, those farmers' income, right? Just in the same way that, that a lot of the, the farmers in, in Iowa who had fields destroyed by flooding the spring, Jesus didn't do that. God didn't do that. He, he's allowing right, the, the, our broken world to, to run its course. But more importantly is, is this thing. The soul of that man, just like each and every one of you, the soul of these people are worth more than all the pigs in the world. And that's the heart of Jesus, right? That to set this man free was worth the cost. You see, because this is, this is the story of the entire Bible. Right, of good versus evil, right? God's redemptive work in his creation to restore all things to himself. God is at work. He has a plan. He has a purpose. Uh, and I, I, I often share this verse, but Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. And in this passage, I think we, we, get, we get a glimpse at the heart of Jesus in this, right? Because it starts, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Right? You used to live this way when you were under the, under the authority of Satan. Right? The spirit who is now at work, who is the kingdom of the prince of the power of the air. Right? That's who you were. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That, that was this man, right? He was under uh, the, the power of the Spirit of the air. Right? He was under demonic forces. He was deserving of wrath, and he came running to Jesus. Right? All of us at one point were living according to the flesh, do, fulfilling the desires of our flesh, doing whatever we want in our own way. And we come face to face with Jesus. Verse 4 says, but, but because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we are dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And so as the disciples are seeing this interaction with Jesus and this man and, and watching this happen, Right? They, they have to come to grips with the fact that Jesus didn't just come to, to save us from all the physical problems. Right? Just like on the boat, he didn't just come to stop the storm so that, that we would be fine. And physically everything would be okay. Right? Because after they come through that experience and realize the truth of who God is and what he can do, they come face to face with this man and they see that Jesus has authority over all spiritual power. 
that everything is subject to him. And it's because of this that, that Jesus set that man free. He gave him freedom and he does the same thing for us. When he went to the cross, right, he bore our guilt, he bore our shame, and he bore it in himself and he paid the price that we deserve. He came to set us free because we were under the authority of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, right, as, as Philippians, or Ephesians 2 puts it. We were deserving of wrath, but he set us free. And that is why Jesus came here. That, that, is, that is what his purpose was as Messiah. Not to, to throw off the Roman Empire and create Israel as a superpower and, and take care of all of their physical needs. He came to set them free. Verse 14. Mark, going back to Mark. All right, here we go. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people well what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs as well. So all these people... Right, they come and they, they, they hear something crazy is going on. So they come running and they see this man who, who probably for a time, th- th- this area that where he lived, nobody went there. Right, because nobody could control this guy. They tried chaining him up. Right? I, I'm sure that if he's there cutting his own flesh and hollering, that if you went walking through maybe for a picnic, you probably went running. Right? People just avoided that region. Now all of a sudden they're here and they come and he's sitting there in his right mind, fully clothed with Jesus. And as they're trying to gather, like, what just happened? Like, what happened? Then they start to hear the stories, like, from the people. It's like, well, he was there, and then all of a sudden, this herd of pigs goes charging down. You see all the bodies floating there in the lake? Like, this is, like, something's happening here. And all these people come face to face with Jesus, and the reality of who Jesus is, that he has authority to do what no one else could. And see, we all have that same encounter. We all have a moment where we come face to face with Jesus and the reality of who he is, and we're faced with a question of what do we do with Jesus? And I think we have two choices of what we do with him, and, and we see it here in the story as we continue on. The people had one response. The first, the first option of what do we do when we encounter the Son of God, the first response is that we can beg Jesus to leave. In verse 17, it says, Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Right? They heard the story. They see what's going on. And their response is like, Can you just please leave? There? Whatever you are, whoever you are, I, this, is, this is scary. Like, I, I don't want anything. This, this, is gonna, this deserves a response, right? If, if you have authority over all of that, like, you are going to upset the way my world works, and I just want you out of here. Please leave. You see, because the cost of having Jesus close by is just too much. Matthew 16, but it's right that, that, that whoever wants to gain the whole world, but they lose their soul. Right? And that's what this is. It's like, I don't, wanna, I don't want this thing I've got going on. I don't want anything changing anything. So Jesus, just leave me alone. Get out of here. 
And the scary truth is that Jesus will give us what, he want, what we want. And if we want him to leave us alone, he will. He will. And ultimately, that, that is what hell is. It is eternal separation from God. If we say, I want nothing more to do with you, Jesus, get away from me. I don't want, you don't have any say in my life. Leave me alone. Ultimately, God will give us that. And that is what hell is. But there's another response. And we pick up the story here and finish these last couple of verses. Starting in verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. And so the crowds told Jesus, beg Jesus to leave, but this man begs to follow. Right? Because Jesus had changed his life. Jesus had set him free. And he says, I, I want to follow you. I'll give everything up. I just I want to be with you. Because he realized when he came face to face with the Son of God, he realized that he had no other hope than to be with Jesus, and he wanted Jesus. And so we're faced with that same choice. When we, when we come face to face with the reality of who God is, right, with who Jesus is and what he did, that he came to conquer sin and death, that he came to win this cosmic battle that has been going on to set us free, we are given that choice of what do we do with that? Do we tell Jesus to go? Do we beg him to leave or do we beg to follow him? And this man chose Jesus. He gave up everything on his own. He's like, I want to be with Jesus. And Jesus' response was to send him home. But not just go home, just go home. It was, he went home and he was on a mission. He said, go home and tell everyone what the Lord has done for you. And so he went. And that whole region, he started telling people. And, and if, you, if we look ahead in, in, in Matthew 15, we see the story where Jesus comes and feeds the 4,000 people. Right? That, that story where Jesus is talking to the crowds and they're hungry, so he feeds them and performs another miracle. It's in the same region of the Decapolis where, where earlier he sends this guy to go tell what the Lord has done. So we don't know for a fact, but I have this sneaking suspicion that a lot of those people who came that Jesus fed were there because they had heard a story. They had heard a story about a guy who had been so uh, under the influence of demonic powers that he couldn't control himself, that people couldn't control him. And all of a sudden, everything was changed, and he's telling people about Jesus. And so when word comes that Jesus is here, crowds gather. Because this guy knew who Jesus was and says, I want to follow you. Jesus, let me follow you. And Jesus gave him a mission. And that's a standing mission for each and every one of us, right? When we come to that point, we decide we want to follow Jesus. His responses to us isn't just like, all right, up here in heaven with me right now. He says, no, go and tell others what the Lord has done for you. How's the Lord set you free? 
So some of you may be sitting there going, I'm, I'm following Jesus. I've begged to follow Jesus. I've given him my life. How are you telling people about that? Are you telling people the, what the Lord has done in your life? Maybe Think about how you can maybe do it. Jesus sent this man home and told him to tell people. Or maybe you're one of those people who, maybe you're sitting here trying to decide, I'm, I'm coming face to face with, with Jesus, the Son of God. And you're sitting here trying to make a decision, what do I do? Do I just tell him to leave so that everything stays the way it is? Or do I risk everything and go all in on Jesus and trust that he is who he says he was? That he did what he said he did. That he went to the cross and he conquered death and he defeated sin and he offers that gift to follow him to give our lives to him and surrender to him what are you going to do? let's pray Father God we thank you for your word and for your truth and we thank you that you love us and that you chase after us and rescue us. And Jesus, we thank you that you have given us that hope. And we pray that for, for everyone here, that we, that we would understand who you are and that we would, we would make that decision. Are we going to beg you to leave us or are we going to beg to follow you? And may our lives be changed as we Give everything to follow you, Jesus. Amen.